<laughs> so the school, the school year's beginning. Students are coming back. It's going to be a great season for our church. I'm excited about it. And in two weeks, we start our fall series that is our evangelistic push for the fall. And uh, we, we did this on purpose to try to make a few of you a little bit more happy. So we're going to spend a few weeks in a new series called At the Movies. And, uh, and during this series, we actually show real movies on the movie screen in the movie theater. And we look for biblical truths in those movies that we can tie in. And, uh, and you get to eat movie theater popcorn. I mean, come on. Popcorn at church. It is the most distracting several weeks of my life because as I'm trying to preach, all I hear is you going. (laughs) But hey, I'll do anything to win people to Jesus. Anything short of sin. We'll do it. (laughs) I will not do an ice bucket challenge. I'll do anything short of sin and an ice bucket challenge to win people to Jesus. All right. So um, we are, uh, yeah, man, I'm excited to, to jump into fall. The at the movie series is going to be good spending a few weeks there, uh, doing that. And it's going to be fun. Also, um, if you love students, uh, we'll have some more information for you about this, um, uh, next week, but you can start praying about it. Now we have an opportunity for you to adopt a college student and, uh, you know, it's, it's really sad. They come here and they live on ramen noodles and cheap pizza and they, they need a home away from home. They need a family away from their family. And so we have an opportunity for you to do that. You can open up your home, not for someone to live with you, but just to adopt a student to uh, maybe once a week or once every couple weeks, come have dinner at your house, take them out to eat. Just give students an opportunity to feel like they have a little bit of a family connection and someone who cares about them while they're here on campus and away from home. And uh, I was actually really surprised and overwhelmed by the uh, response to that last year. We had a ton of students who wanted to be a part of that. And, uh, so if you are interested in, in having a couple of students come hang out with you every once in a while, eat a meal, um, you can sign up for that next week. All right. We'll have all that information out to you. And, uh, it's a great way for us to connect with students on campus. All right. How many ready for God's word this morning? Yeah, I am. I'll just preach to myself. If you don't like it too bad. All right. So we're in our summer series called SPF. And uh, it's very cleverly named after, you know, SPF, sunscreen. But what we're really talking about is our spiritual protection factor. How many know that the devil is real? He wants to mess up your life. He wants to rob you of all of your joy. He wants to destroy every area of your life that he possibly can. He wants to bring uh, as much death and destruction into your life as he possibly can. And our theme verse for the series comes from Ephesians chapter 6. And it says, finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand. Everybody say, take your stand. Take your stand against the devil's schemes. And that's what we've been looking at is the devil's schemes. There are different schemes that the enemy has that he wants to throw at us to try to mess up our lives. It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. And against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So that fight you had last night with your husband or your wife or your kids, it wasn't against flesh and blood. Now, you may have shed flesh and blood. But the Bible teaches us that that oftentimes what ends in a flesh and blood battle actually started as something much deeper, something that we couldn't even see, something that was going on in the spirit realm. Last, last week, we talked about how to avoid the scheme of sin and temptation and and i apologize it took us a while to get that message audio up we we lost a flash drive i'm just going to tell you the truth okay we lost it 
We don't know where it is. And it had the message audio on it. So we had to retrieve a backup copy. But it, I think it's up now and you can listen to it. And uh, so we apologize for it taking as long as it did. But it is there now. We had some issues with the two weeks before that. They're gone. They're lost forever. And we're sorry. All right. <clears throat> so here's, here's one of the things that I'm always concerned happen when we say, hey, we're going to talk about family. And that's what we're going to talk about is how the enemy wants to bring pain. He wants to bring burn into your family. And, and I, I could be preaching to the choir here or I could just be preaching to myself. Maybe I'm the only one that's ever had some family go a little bit crazy. You know what I'm saying? I, I know this probably doesn't apply to you, but there have been some times in my life where family has left some scars on me. And there's been some time in my life where I've probably left some scars on family. The enemy wants to destroy our family relationships. He wants our homes not to be places of peace or rest or calm. But he wants them to be places where there's just that constant bickering back and forth. He wants to, he wants to destroy the peace in your home. And so one of my concerns is that single people will kind of check out when we talk about marriage and family because... You think, well, I'm not there yet. That's not really me. I'm not married. But here's the thing. You probably want to be someday. You probably want to be married someday. You might want to have kids someday. You might want to have a family someday. And so my challenge to you is why wouldn't you load up your toolbox with every tool that you could possibly get so that when you step into that relationship someday, you're prepared. Come on, somebody. I, I think one of the, the testimonies of mine and my wife's marriage will have celebrate 14 years in January. Uh, of being married together and um our, we both came from broken homes divorced families um there was a lot of craziness um there was some abuse there was i mean you name it it was there and i, I think one of the things that we kind of on accident got right i don't think we deserve any credit for this it was totally the holy spirit it was totally god is we just decided early on in our dating relationship that that if we're going to get married a new family tree starts with us and we don't resent our past. We, we don't have bitterness or anger against our parents or against previous generations. But we also don't accept this idea that we have to repeat everything that they did. And so we just decided that with us, with God's help, with the help of God's word, we're going to plant a new family tree. It's going to start with us. And one of the things that we did is we read every marriage and parenting book we could get our hands on. We, our, our church that we got married in required premarital counseling. We took that. And then we went to other pastors and other couples and said, hey, would you premarital counsel us too? I mean, we just, as much information as we could possibly get to prepare ourselves for life as a married couple. And I, I'm, I'm just, I'm thankful that God, I'm not, listen, I don't, I'm not necessarily a person that flows in tons of wisdom, but I'm thankful that in that moment, the Holy Spirit gave us some and it has really helped us. So single people, don't check out on me today. All right, hang in there because you're going to use this someday. And uh, I want to say to you as well that no matter what your past looks like, you can make the same decision even before you meet the person you're going to marry. You can make the same decision right now. Hey, someday when I meet someone, someday when I get married, new family tree starts right here with me. We're going to do it God's way. We're going to do it the way the Bible says. We don't have to repeat the sins of our past, and we're not destined to repeat the curses of our family. Come on, somebody. Jesus has set us free. If you're divorced or on the verge of divorce, don't check out today because God can restore you. He can prepare you or even reconcile you. He's, his plan for you has not changed just because of something that happened in your life. You know, this is how I think the Holy Spirit works. I use a GPS in my car. 
when I go places, especially I haven't been there if I haven't been there before. Now, now if I've been there before, I, I probably don't because I, I don't get lost. Men don't get lost. <laughs> we don't need we don't need to stop and ask for directions because it's it's an adventure. All right. So, ladies, just let us have our adventure. Leave us alone. We don't know. Literally, I, I'm pretty good. If I've been somewhere once, I, I typically don't get lost getting back there. But I do like the GPS. It's fun for me. But here's the thing. You know, every once in a while, I'll miss a turn. And I won't take the preferred route that the GPS wanted me to go on. Listen, on the day you gave your heart to Jesus Christ, he started, the Holy Spirit started becoming your counselor, started becoming the GPS for your life to lead you and to guide you and direct you. And here's what I love about God, the grace of God is every once in a while, I don't know about you, but in my life, I've missed a turn. I've missed a turn. I've missed a turn that the Holy Spirit wanted me to take and later realized, oh, I was supposed to take a left back there and I took a right. But here's what I love about the Holy Spirit. It does the same thing as my GPS. My GPS, when I make that wrong turn, what's it say? Recalculating. Rerouting. No problem. All I'll do is just... So you made a listen, the destination for your life hasn't changed. You may have made a couple of wrong turns, but how many know that God in all of his sovereignty and all of his grace at the snap of his finger can just reroute the path for your life and get you to where you're supposed to be. So I don't care how messed up you think your marriage is or how messed up you think your family is. Today could be the day that the Holy Spirit steps in and says rerouting. We're going to get this thing on track. We're going to get this thing in the pointed in the right direction. You can tell I'm excited when I get tongue-tied. All right. I love marriage and family. It's one of the topics I'm most passionate about. We've had a great small group this past semester with several couples. Thanks for coming and hanging out with us. (laughs) I'm sure I'm not the only one who's ever felt this way. You know, I've come out of messages like today, or I've listened to someone talk about marriage and family, and I get all kind of fired up. All right, this is it. We're going to, we're going to family devotion starting right now. Kids, wife, on the count of three, speak in tongues. A little overzealous maybe at times, right? I'm going to lead my family. I'm going to, we're going to be spiritual. We're going to love God. And then that lasts for, I don't know, 20 minutes. And, And somebody gets mad at somebody or somebody does something crazy or one of your kids has a little bit of gas while you're sitting at the, at the dining room table. You thought it was going to be all serious and then somebody does something and, and it's all, it's, it's, it's gone a shot. And I think sometimes we do this. We, we think we build up these expectations of what a godly family and what a godly home looks like. And then when it's not all just like super uber spiritual and, and halos on our kids' heads and my, you know, I, I gotta, I gotta admit to you, my kids are not walking around my house quoting scripture. You know, they don't talk like they are from the King James Bible. Pastor's kids don't do that. I didn't wake up this morning. Sarah wasn't like, howest art thou, thou daddy? Blessings upon thee. It's, just, it's not real, all right? And we create these expectations sometimes about what it should be like if our family is following God together. You think you're going to have prayer meetings and that your kids are going to have angels wings and you have deep, you're going to have these deep biblical devotions every night. And I just got to tell you, especially if you're just starting out on creating some of these habits, this is probably not a realistic expectation on day one. Angel's wings, I don't know if that's ever a realistic expectation, but it would be cool. And that would mean your kid is a mutant. All right. There was a former heavyweight boxer who came out of Oklahoma 
His name was James Quick Tillis, a cowboy from Oklahoma who fought in boxing out of Chicago. He moved to Chicago and trained there in the early 1980s. He tells this story of his first day in the Windy City after his arrival from Tulsa. He says, I got off the bus with two cardboard suitcases under my arms in downtown Chicago and stopped in front of the Sears Tower. I put my suitcases down, looked up at the tower and said to myself, I'm going to conquer Chicago. He says, when I looked down, the suitcases were gone. (laughs) Come on, I mean, that's how your marriage and family has felt at times. Well, I'm going to conquer this thing. And then the next thing you know, somebody stole it. Somebody stole your suitcases. Listen, I want you to know today that there's going to be some encouragement for you. You might have come in today kind of discouraged about where you're at or what you've seen. Maybe you're questioning whether or not marriage and family is even legitimate in modern culture, whether it can work. And I'm going to tell you, it can. You may feel like it's just not realistic to have a family that loves God and serves God, and you're feeling the burn of that today. Well, here's some encouragement for you. Have you ever read about the first family in the Bible? Adam and Eve. You know what happened with their sons? Cain killed Abel. So that's what we get. I just, we need to be more of a biblical family. Really? You remember this guy, Joseph? Remember what happened to him? His brothers were jealous of him, hated him, tricked him into coming out into the wilderness, stole his coat, beat him up, threw him in a pit with plans to come back and kill him later, and then decided out of the mercy of their hearts, instead we'll sell him as a slave. Do you remember that? That's a biblical family. Can I just tell you, if you think your family is dysfunctional, just read your Bible. <laughs> you will feel like a rock star. There's so much. This is what I love about Scripture. When we really read it, what we'll find out is that all throughout history, all these people, all the heroes of faith were human beings who struggled just like you and I do. And so what I want to do today is I want to talk about that gap that exists for most of us between God's ideal. We have these ideals in our head that what, the, what a great family, what a, a family who loves God and serves God would look like. But most of us are living with reality over here. And so there's this gap between what's real and what we think is ideal. So how do we close the gap? Look at Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Jesus is talking here and he says, Hey, why do you keep calling me Lord when you don't do what I say? I'll show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It's like a person building a house. That's what we're all doing. We're building houses. We're building families. Who digs deep. And lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it's well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against the house, it will collapse into a heap of of ruins. Here's the question I have for you today. Is your family well built? Is your family well built? Have you dug deep? Have you laid the foundation on Jesus Christ? Is it firm? Is it ready for the storm? If you're not married yet, 
Are you laying that foundation in your life right now to prepare you for the day when you meet that someone so that you can build a house, so that you can build a family that's well-built? I don't know about you, but I want to have a well-built home. I want to have a well-built family. I want it to stand firm against the, against the storms when they come. If we want to avoid the schemes of the enemy in our family, it's going to take some hard work. We're going to have to dig deep. We're going to have to lay a solid foundation. And we're going to have to submit in obedience to our Lord. In other words, in your notes, if you're following along this morning, here's the first blank that I want you to fill in. That you could sum it all up this way. Strong families put God first. Well-built, the best families, the most well-built families are families who have made a conscious decision to put God first. You say, is it really that simple? Yeah, it is really that simple. If you want to have a marriage that rocks, if you want to have a family that rocks, if you want to keep the romantic flame alive, I know it kind of feels weird sometimes to attach romance to God, but I'm just telling you, if you want that, you've got to be a family that puts God first. Prayer together is one of the most intimate things you can ever do. That's why we counsel people who are dating not to lay down or, or, or lean or anything like that when you pray together. Pray over a meal. Pray standing up or sitting up. Because prayer creates intimacy. And as holy as prayer is, you will mess up. Come on, somebody. Like, it's awkward. But it's true. It happens all the time. If you are married now and you're looking to spice it up, add a little intimacy. Guys, I'm trying to help you. Pray with your wife. Pray with her. It, it will help you. God wants to pour out blessing on you. I'm just saying, strong families put God first. Later in the fall, we're actually going to do a whole series on how to put God first in every area of your life. That'll come right after the at the movie series. I'm looking forward to it. In Ephesians, Paul writes to families. One of the most quoted passages of scripture that I'm about to share with you. And one of the most misunderstood and misquoted at times. And I think what Paul does for us here is he describes a little bit about what a family putting God first would look like. And so that's what we're going to spend the rest of the time today unpacking. We can avoid the burn of the enemy's schemes by being families that are God-first families. Come on, do you want to have a God-first family this morning? Do you want to have a God-first family this morning? Thank you. So Ephesians 5.21 we're going to go all the way into chapter 6. Let's look at what Paul writes here. We're going to read through the scripture all the way. More scripture than we normally read together. And then I'm going to, we're going to go back and dissect the scripture, unpack it together. I think in this scripture are hidden five things that God-first families have. That healthy, God-first houses and homes practice. So let's read. Ephesians 5.21, he says, Submit to one another. Out of reverence for Christ. For, what, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of his body, the church. And as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands and everything. For husbands, this means love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot 
or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. Now, the English Standard Version gets this more accurate here. It actually says, for, for when a man loves his wife, he loves himself. Because you're not two anymore, you're one. On the day you got married, you became one. Verse 29, no one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Let's go to chapter 6. Now the parents, you get a little bit excited here. We're going to help you out. Children, obey your parents. Come on, I gave you a chance right there, parents. Come on. Children, obey your parents. (laughs) Because you belong to the Lord. For it's the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you. And you'll have a long life on earth. And then, and then finally, fathers do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. I think in that passage there are five things. That Paul lays out for us that God-first families have. God-first families practice. And here's the first one. It's order. God-first families have order. Listen, Paul was a very smart man. He was brilliant. Paul, when he was writing this letter to the church at Ephesus, would have taken great care in the order that he addressed people and relationships in his letter. And in the letter, he addresses the family as a unit first. He says, hey, all of you submit to one another in love out of reverence to Christ. Or some versions say out of fear of the Lord. And then he moves on to address the first relationship. He talks to wives and husbands. And so what he's, what he's doing here is he's giving us that the priority relationship in the home must always be the husband and the wife. That's a good place for an amen. The priority relationship in your family has to be between mom and dad. Every home needs order. I think order speaks to purpose. In our home, we make sure that our family, all of us, are on the same page about who we are and why we're here. You've heard me talk about this from the stage before, if you've been coming here very long, that we we use this this, uh, packaging when we talk to our kids all the time. Hey, Smiths, Smiths don't do that. Hey, hey, you're a Smith. And you know what it means to be a smith? It means we don't, we don't show anger towards people. We show grace. It means when, when somebody mistreats you at school, you're not going to freak out on them. You're going to pray for them. When, 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 uh, when you're tempted to disobey and misbehave, you're going to, hey, we're, we're smiths. That's not, that's not what we do. We're not selfish. We don't serve ourselves. We're we're put on planet Earth to have an impact. We, I have this fun little saying that I, I say with my daughter, and we'll teach it to my son when he gets old enough. And if you've heard this a hundred times from me, I'm sorry, but I'm going to say it again. We have this, it's like this little chant. It's like our family cheer where I'll say, I'll say, hey, hey, who are we? And she'll say, the Smiths. And what are we? And she'll say, a family. And I say, and who do we love? She says, Jesus. And I say, and what are we building? And she says, his church. 
And then I say, and who's our team? She says, the Chiefs. <laughs> she knows who our team is. And listen, the Bible says, train up a child on the way they should go. Why? Because later in their years, they're not going to depart from God's word. They're not going to depart from the things that get deposited in our hearts. And that comes with establishing order in our homes. Our homes have to be places of order. Now, now I'm, not speaking, I'm not speaking about importance. All right? My daughter is not less important. I'll get to that in the next point. But the priority relationship in our home is the marriage. The priority relationship is the one between my wife and I. If that relationship is not healthy, now I should say, of course, after our relationship with Jesus Christ, right? We put God first. Our relationship with Jesus Christ comes before everything else. But in our home, the relationship that has to be healthy is the relationship between mom and dad. Everything else flows out of that. Everything else flows out of that. And when we allow children or work or other things to come into our schedules, into our lives, and compete with the priority relationship, things are out of God's order and we are taking ourselves out of the blessing zone for our family. The priority relationship has to be the marriage. Order affects everything. It affects money. It affects time. It affects work. Paul addresses the family unit in a specific order and he prioritizes the marriage above everything else. In a God-first home, the priority relationship is the marriage. When order, listen, write this down in your notes. Some of, some of you are str- you want to find blessing for your home. This is, here it is right here. When order is restored, blessing is released. When order is restored, blessing is released. When we get the order right in our homes, we set ourselves up for the blessing of God to be poured out. When one spouse senses that the order is off, that the order is in jeopardy, it will throw the whole thing off. In Genesis, the Hebrew word, when God says, for this cause a man will leave, let go of his father and mother and cleave to his wife. That's what he said. Hey, when, for this cause a man will leave his father and mother. The, the Hebrew word there actually means to let go. It doesn't mean that we don't love our family anymore. It doesn't mean that we don't love our parents. But it means I'm making a conscious decision. That yet blood might be thicker than water, but covenant is thicker than blood. Because when you enter in a marriage relationship, it's covenant. Come on, somebody. So I still I still love my parents. I love all of my family, but the priority relationship in my life now is my wife. And there have been some seasons in our marriage where, for whatever reason, one of us or the other has sensed that the order is getting messed up. Check this out. Did you know that in Exodus? 3414, God says, my name is jealous. He's actually, that's one of the names of God that we don't talk about very often. But this is actually a healthy jealousy. He's saying, I created you for me first. God created you for God first. And when we enter into covenant marriage, what we're saying in covenant before God and before each other is that after my relationship with Jesus Christ, we are now one. And I was created for God first and you second. And there's actually something in us because we were created in the image of God. When we enter into that covenant relationship, it's a healthy jealousy that rises up in us. When we start to sense that the order is in jeopardy. If work is causing your spouse to get things out of order. 
if if a friendship or the kids. It, let me just say it to you this way. There's something in us that knows when we get married that I should be before the kids, your job, your parents, your friends, your recreation. I should be the priority relationship in your life. And when I sense that I'm not above all of those things, there's going to be a, a normal jealousy that starts to rise up within me. And I'm going to start to fight for the relationship. Come on, somebody. It's natural. It's in us. When your spouse complains about this, guys, ladies, it's normal. Don't bulldoze them. In fact, what we need to do is to do whatever it takes to reestablish order. Whatever it takes to reestablish order. The God-first home has order. Here's the second thing that's in a God-first home. It's equality. The God-first home has equality. Now, I know some of you are about to freak out because you're like, well, doesn't he just say wives? <laughs> Let me be clear. I believe in spiritual headship. I, be, I believe the Bible is very clear about spiritual. I don't think Paul would draw this incredible contrast between Christ and the church, husbands and wives, out, out, just out of cultural implications. All right, so, so guys, we do have some responsibility. Husbands, we have some responsibility to spiritual headship in the home, but it doesn't mean what a lot of us think it means. Let me unpack this for you. Paul addresses the family as a unit first, then he, then he heads into the marriage. He says that's the priority relationship. And here's what he says. He says, we're all going to submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. In fact, can you put that scripture back up there real quick, Todd? Can you go back to the, the wives? I know we didn't talk about this, so I'm throwing a, a curveball at you. I just want you to see something. It would be uh, verse 25, I think. Yep. Okay. Nope. Go back. You, you had it right. There you go. All right. Verse 21. Now, in the original Greek, the way this letter reads, remember, the verses weren't there. Paul's writing a letter. Paul's coming out of a a talk about spirit-led living, and he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, for wives. Now, this, this word submit here in verse 22 in the original Greek is actually not there. This was added by the English translators to make it easier for us. So if you were reading the letter, you would have read it, submit to each other out of reverence for Christ, wives to your husbands. All right, so he's just, here. in other words, in, a, in the family, in the God-first family, we're all going to submit to each other, and then here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to break down what that looks like in each uh, per member of the family. What your responsibility is in creating that culture where we're all submitted to each other in love out of reverence for Christ. He's going to break it down for us. So I don't, I don't believe in this idea that, that men are supposed to be cavemen. Argh. Woman, listen. We want food. Food, man. Man hungry. Food, sex, food, sex. I'm not, I'm not down with that, okay? I don't think that's an accurate representation of a God-first family, of a biblical family. We're all going to submit to each other. Listen, even though the priority relationship in my home is the marriage, that doesn't make my kids less important. Priority in relationship doesn't create inferiority in person. You with me? 
My kids aren't... Listen, God loves my daughter and my son just as much as he loves me. They're not less important. It's just the order that he wants my family to flow in is to make the marriage healthy first so that we can have a safe and secure environment for our kids to learn to love God in. They're not less important. In fact, I can't even treat them with the importance they deserve unless I have the healthy marriage first. That's good preaching. I don't care what you say. We're all equal in the home. We have shared responsibility and all of us get to lead each other. Did you know you can learn from your kids? I know it's earth shattering. We have many families in our church. And guess who the first ones were to show up to church? It was the kids. And they led the family here. My wife was the first one in her family to give her heart to Christ. And then her brother followed. And then her mom. She was the missionary. So we're still praying for dad. You can help us pray for him. He's going to come to Jesus one of these days. But kids can lead the family. Even though there's order in the relationship, nobody's inferior. You prioritize a healthy marriage so that you can have a healthy home to raise your kids in. I want every single thing in my life. Now listen to this. I don't lord anything over my life. I understand that I think scripture seems to indicate that when I get to heaven, I'm going to have a little bit of a different conversation about my role leading the home than what my wife is. It doesn't mean I'm more important. It doesn't mean I get extra points when I get there or extra high fives from Jesus. But he establishes that there is spiritual headship there. But we're one. I'm going to talk about what that means here in just a second. Here's, here, for, for us, this is the decision I've made. I want every single thing in my life to be a product of us, not a product of me. Because we're one. There's equality there. When Paul instructed wives to submit, he wasn't placing them in a lower class, which leads to the next thing that God-first families have to have. Number three is submission. We have to have submission in a God-first home. And this is a word that's tough for people when they read it in modern culture because here's what people see when they see the word submission. In, in our culture, we see the word weak. We see doormat. We see secondary. We see inferior. We see the animals on National Geographic when the hunt's going on, the alphas get to eat first, and everybody else has to wait. That's how we see submission. I'll just lay down over here, and when I get my turn... It'll be okay. No, that's, that's not what Paul's talking about here. A more appropriate biblical definition of submission is this. It's simply to serve or to yield, to show honor and respect. A biblical definition of the word submission would be this. I'll write this down if you want to. To leverage your power, influence, and resources for the benefit of someone else. Leverage your power, influence, and resources for the benefit of someone else. Men, this verse was never meant to help us prop up chauvinism or dominate our spouses. Come on, ladies. I'll just go preach over here. I think I have Stacy out here. <laughs> hey, men, husbands, this scripture was never meant to prop up chauvinism or give us an excuse to dominate our spouses. Come on, ladies. Amen. That's not what this is about. Women, this verse was never meant to make you feel like the lesser sex. The husband and wife are to be equal partners leading the home. The fact, now here's, here's what I want you to notice. Remember, Paul, he would have, he would have paid attention 
to the order he wrote the letter in. And here's, here's what I've got to say to you guys. Men, when he says, wives, submit to, to your husbands. Wives, to your husbands. He's not even talking to us. He's talking to the ladies. So this verse was never meant for us to grab and go, woman, better submit. You're make me some steak. What? What are you doing? Nobody's going to love you like that. That's crazy. That's not what Paul is talking about here. In fact, notice Paul addresses the wives before he addresses the husband. And in his time, in his culture, that actually would have taken people by surprise. It would have shocked them that the ladies got mentioned before the men. Look, you know, Jesus, all through his ministry, did nothing but empower the ladies. What's it? He meets a woman at the well who's all kinds of messed up and uses her to reach his, her entire village. Come on now. By the way, by the way, Paul, when he mentions a couple of the ladies, uh, uh, Phoebe and, and uh, there's another one in there. What is it, Joel? Lydia. Did you know the Greek word that he uses for them is the, it's all it is is the female version of the same word that's used for apostle on men? He refers to them at the same level of spiritual leadership in the church. That's why, look, just so you know, like in our church, we got no problem with a lady getting up and preaching. We've got no problem with a lady leading people and teaching people because every single reference to this in Scripture is, is tied to something cultural that was going on at the time. So what Paul's saying here is not, guys, you're more important. Browbeat your wife and... Make them submit to you. Women, he's not saying you're lesser. In fact, the fact that he addressed you first sent a significant message to the people of his time. Paul, what Paul is actually doing here is he's speaking to what we now know to be the greatest need of men. We just did a great marriage conference with Karen and Jimmy Evans. They have a ministry called Marriage Today. I encourage you to go check it out. And their ministry does research on married couples and guess what? Guess what they found that married men will say their greatest need in the home is. Now, our culture would tell you that it's sex. It's actually not. The greatest need of a man is honor. We'll do anything for honor. We'll do anything to feel respected. If Most men that end up in an affair, in an extramarital affair, it's because they felt honor and acceptance and love and respect that, that they didn't feel like they were getting. Now, I'm not excusing it. There's no excuse for that, guys. No excuse. But I'm just saying, we'll do almost anything for honor. The, the people that are closest to me in my life are the people who I feel like show genuine love and honor. It, 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 my friends are people who I feel like I can honor and they honor me back. The minute that honor's gone, they're out of the inner circle. It's just the way we're wired. It's the way that God has wired us up. And what Paul is actually speaking to here is the greatest need of men. When he says, wives, to your husbands. What he's actually saying is, hey, ladies, talk to your husband the same way you would if Jesus was standing there. I know what you're thinking. If he acted anything like Jesus. (laughs) But listen, you can help actually shift that by bringing honor into the home. Try it. Make a practice of honor and respect in your home for your husband. It, it's it's going to take some sacrifice. It's going to take some work. 
but I'd, I'd be willing to bet you a little bit of money because I don't have a lot. That the more honor you bring into the home, the more like Jesus he'll become. Come on, man. I'm trying to help you here. Paul's actually speaking to the greatest need of men. Wives, when you communicate with your husband, you need to use a tone, timing, and body language that says, you're a good man. I believe in you, and I'm with you no matter what. Confront. Listen, my wife has had to confront me. I know y'all think I'm perfect. (laughs) My wife will tell you otherwise. I'm sure she's got a long list. But, there, you know, there are times, wives, that you need to confront your husband, that you need to bring correction to the relationship. But here's the trick. Here's how you keep honor in the home. You confront, you share the truth in love, and then you let it go and you let the Holy Spirit be the enforcer. Listen, he can do it better than you. The Holy Spirit is a better nagger than you are. Because he, he, the counselor is constantly speaking to our hearts confront and love but god let god be in the enforcer wives you have the keys to your husband's heart through honor now we'll say sex is a close second the research says it honor first sex second but a man's greatest need is honor and that's what paul is speaking to here when he says hey hey wives talk to your husbands the way you would talk to jesus come on somebody it's good preaching here's the fourth thing that every home every god first home must have it's love and, and I love, our, our culture loves to build up masculinity and oh, man, manliness. But who does God, through Paul, give the commandment to in the home to love? Us. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and laid down his life for it. The Greek word here is the word agapao. I worked really hard on that this week. Agapao, that's how you say it. It's in in verse 25. Here's what it means. It means to have love for someone or something based on sincere appreciation and high regard. To love, to regard with affection, loving concern, and here's the big one, fellas, to demonstrate that love through action like Jesus did for us. Now, you may not have to die on a cross, but you might need to wash some dishes. I, mean, so I, I, I know how to raise the romantic temperature in my home. It's very simple. It looks like this. You see this baby? I make sure she gets a good look. Hey, nobody said you don't have to be strategic. Don't wash the dishes when she's not around, man. Make sure she's standing there watching. See that, babe? Wash the dishes. What now? See this bicep? Well, I washed this. Ephesians 5.20, he says, I want you to see the English Standard Version here. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. Why? Because we're one. And here's what Paul's doing. Now, Paul spoke to the primary need of men. He said, it's honor. Look at, this is what, when he talks about this love, this high regard kind of love, love in action, and he, and he puts the responsibility on the husbands. 
Now he's actually speaking to what research has shown to be the primary need of wives. There probably are some exceptions to this, but the overwhelming research said that husband's primary need is honor and respect. The wife's primary need is this, security. And so what that means for us husbands is when we communicate with our, with our wives, we need to use tone, timing, and body language that says this. I love you. I don't want anyone or anything but you. And I will meet your needs and the needs of this family even at my own expense. Why? He said Jesus loved the church to the point of going to the cross. He was willing to sacrifice his life out of love for the church. And that is the standard that we're held to, husbands. He puts the mantle on us to say, hey, even at your own expense, you'll bring love into the home. Nobody wants to amen that. Come on, ladies. Don't you want, don't you want the husband to bring the love back into the house? Come on, somebody. All right, here's the last one. A God-first home needs discipline. Discipline. Parents and kids both play a role in discipline. You see, that's the, this is the last relationship that Paul addresses. He says, hey, kids, honor your parents and obey your parents. And then what I really love is he gives us the, the Bible version of the because I said so. Because he said, hey, hey, honor and obey because it's the right thing to do. Don't you love, don't you feel better about your because I said so? If Paul used it, I can use it. Daddy, why? Because I said so. Now he says, hey, it's the right thing to do. And it's the first commandment with a promise that if you do this, things will go well for you. Things will go well for you. Kids are called on. To obey. Now listen, you're going to reach an age, 18. You can, you can think about moving out of that house. And that relationship's going to start to shift a little bit. But as long as you're there. Now my kids aren't allowed to move. My, my daughter not allowed to move out until she's 30. But kids are called on to obey. In our home, discipline comes down to two core issues. I just want to give this to you as a tool you can use, especially if you have little kids. Number one is obedience. So for us, the conversation I have with my daughter all the time is, hey, uh, you have to, when we set guidelines and boundaries, you have to obey. Now, we don't punish unless we're 100% sure that we've had a clear conversation about this. So if there's a mistake made and we've never made it clear that doing this would be disobedience, there's just a conversation. Hey, in the future, we're, listen, this is, we don't do this. Smiths don't do this. And then we talk, now, now, you know, if you do, what are you choosing? I'm choosing to get punished. Okay. And you, you understand it's your choice. Yes, I understand it's my choice. We, we really parent around two core issues, obedience. And the second one is honesty. We don't really even have like punishment guidelines around anything but those two things. Disobedience will, will bring some punishment and dishonesty brings the most severe form of punishment in our house. Because if we can't trust you, we have nothing to work with. And I can tell you, we, we adopted that really in the last year. And I can, I can already see the difference. We, 
got some coaching from an overseer on some things. You know, I didn't want it to be the way my home was. My wife didn't want it to be the way her home was. So we went and got some coaching. We went and got some help. Hey, listen, counseling and help isn't for when there's a crisis. It's to help you avoid a crisis. We're all in counseling because the Holy Spirit is our what? Counselor. So don't be all, I'm not going to get in touch with my feelings. Knock it off. Bring love into the home. Bring some discipline into the home. Parents, we're called to discipline. Now, Paul says he's very, very specific here. Discipline without provoking to anger. If you can't discipline your child without provoking them to anger. In other words, there is no value in breaking down your kids to the point that they resent you and they're angry at you about the punishment. It does nothing. My daughter's very tender-hearted. All I have to do is look at her with a face that says I'm disappointed. And it's... <laughs> My son? I don't think it's going to be that way. He's like... <laughs> you had it easy. Now I'm here. That's what he's saying. Parents were called to discipline without provoking. You don't need to break them down. You don't need to wear them out. Breaking your kid down to the point of tears and feeling terrible about it themselves is of no value to you. But we need, to, we need to have discipline in our home. It'll go well for you, guys, if you honor your father and your mother. Listen, parents, discipline demonstrates love. In Hebrews, we see this. You can, guys, come up. We see Hebrews that we're told that when, even when God brings discipline into our lives, we shouldn't view it as him being against us. We should view it as him being for us because a father always disciplines out of love. Discipline communicates love to our kids. They may not understand it at the time, but discipline brings love into the home. Every home, if you're going to have a God-first home, it needs order, it needs equality, it needs submission, it needs love, and it needs discipline. Come on, that help you this morning? That help you? Listen, I know it's not one of those like, whew, I need to run to the altar and pray that out kind of deals. What I really want to do is give you something practical that you can walk out of here and you can go, man, we need to evaluate. Do we have these five things? In our, is, is, is the marriage the priority relationship in our home? What do, what do our kids see? Which, how are we handling this? Do we have order? Is one spouse dominating the other? Because that's not going to work. And listen, I've seen marriages where wives dominate husbands just as much as I've seen marriages where husbands dominate wives. It can go either way. Do we have submission? Do we have love? Do we have discipline in our homes? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? I just want to give an invitation to anyone in the room who maybe you've never stepped into relationship with a heavenly father. Maybe your family kind of made a mess out of it. So this idea of a heavenly father is really weird for you and kind of it's hard for you to even make sense out of it. So here's what I want you to in, in picture. If Just picture a perfect father with perfect love, incapable of mistreating you, incapable of abuse, incapable of abandonment, incapable of creating pain in your life, a perfect love that will drive out every fear that you ever face. That is the, the God of the universe, our Heavenly Father, who wants to be in relationship with you. And just through a simple prayer, you can invite Him into your life today. 
And if you say, hey, Michael, I want to do that. I want to invite Jesus Christ into my life and have a relationship with the God of the universe. Would you just hold your hand up real quickly? I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to embarrass you. Nothing like that. I just want to know that you're here. Awesome. We're going we're gonna to pray this prayer together. If you're praying this prayer for the first time, inviting Jesus into your life, as soon as we're done, would you pick up the connection card in the cup holder next to you? Give us your name and at least your email address. You don't have to give us all of your contact info, but at least your email address and check the box that says, I'm committing my life to Christ. We're just going to send you an email with some next steps to help you get off on a good, healthy start in your walk with Jesus Christ. That's it. That's all we're going to do. just want to help you in that way. Would you say this prayer with me? Say, dear Jesus, I need you. I need a savior. Come into my heart. Change me. I surrender all that I am to you. I believe you died for me and rose from the grave. And from this day on, I can be in relationship with you. In Jesus' name.